0: We're continuing our sermon series. Seven churches, and we're on the seventh church. And you've heard the saying, save the best for last. Well, the exact opposite is true when it comes to this text. You get to this church, and it goes south quickly. So let's read it, and then we'll dive in. Start with verse 14, church in Laodicea. To the angel of the church in Laodicea write... These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth, and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, so that you can become rich, and white clothes to wear, so that you can cover your shameful nakedness, and a salve to put on your eyes, so you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline, so be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on the throne just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word this morning. It's a challenging word, and Father, we are in a place where we have a view of ourselves. But you see all, and you know all. And it's easy for us to not see the blind spots in our own lives, in our own church. And so, Lord, you are the amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of all creation. So I pray that you help us see us as you see us, and help us be earnest and turn from our sin and cling to your son. It's in his name we pray. Amen. All right, just real quick, a little bit of information about Laodicea. Uh, Laodicea, we're going uh, counterclockwise. We're going around. We have Ephesus, and we've made it all the way around to this little church in Laodicea, and it's packed in between two cities. Aeropolis and Colossae, which you guys know from the book of Colossians. It's in the Lycus River Valley. This city, Laodicea, was wealthy. There was an earthquake in AD 60, devastated the city, and yet there was a Roman historian who said this, Laodicea arose from the ruins by the strength of our own resources with no help from us. They didn't ask Rome to come and help them. You guys remember what the other cities Rome had to come and help them after devastating earthquakes. Not here. Why? Because they had a banking system that was unreal for this time. They had extreme wealth. Not only did they have a banking system, they also had a clothing industry. Think of the Jordan brand and how successful that is. That's something like you would find here in Laodicea. They had a clothing line that was better than anything in the area. People wanted what they were making. They were self-sufficient, didn't need help from anybody. They were also famous for their medical advancements. They created this salve for your eyes that would help you heal and see clearly. They also used it for ears to help with hearing. They were very proud of their accomplishments. There was one major weakness in the city, and that was their water. Their water was lukewarm. You see, the, the city close to them, Heropolis, was known for their hot water, their soothing water. That would be used for medical purposes, the hot springs. And then Colossae was known for their cold, refreshing water. But here, you had to use these aqueducts. And as this water went through these, these aqueduct systems, the hot water would cool and the cold water would warm. So by the time it got to Laodicea, it was nasty. And people, visitors, as they would come and taste the water, their reaction would be to spit it out because of the taste. Now, this is important because Jesus has a word for Laodicea. And there's a problem with not just their city, but their church. And this is my prayer. My prayer is that when we hear from Christ, when we look at his word... And it reveals things in our lives that we do what Jesus tells us to do, to be earnest and repent. Right? Repentance is a, a daily thing. As we sin, as we fall into sin, we confess it to God, and we turn from it. Took our football team, this was 2013, our first canoe trip with our offensive linemen. And we're going, we do the Little Miami, it's a six-mile trip, and you got to understand, when you have heavy guys in a canoe, you got to do a lot of paddling, right? You float a little bit. When the the little Miami's a little down, you hit the bottom of the the river. And so you're paddling, you're working hard, you're sweating, you're sore. We get done with the six-mile trek, and on our way back home, we stop at McDonald's. And I love sweet tea from McDonald's. And I thought this is going to be so good. I make the order, all the guys order, we, we get it paid for, and they give you the cup. I go fill up the cup, the styrofoam cups that keep it cool, put the lid on, put my straw in, set it down. But before I drink it, I want to go to the bathroom, and wash my hands. Right? I've been in the, the river all day. It's nasty. I want to make sure I got clean hands. So I go, to the bathroom, and clean it. Well, wouldn't you know, as I go to the bathroom, some of our football players had another idea. They go and find a ketchup packet. They open up the ketchup packet. They take my straw, put it in the ketchup packet, put it back in my sweet tea, put the lid back on. So here I come, I come back out of the bathroom, hands are clean, I'm like, oh, oh, here's my sweet tea. I pick it up and I start to take a drink and I I try to chug it and I'm like, man, it must be on the bottom of the cup and I don't want to break the styrofoam cup. So I lift it up, try to move the ice around, take another big gulp. nothing comes. And I said, you know what, I'm going to keep trying. And on the third try, I get a huge gulp of ketchup. I didn't notice all of the guys just watching at me. I was so thirsty, I just wanted some sweet tea. I get this gulp of ketchup. Now, what do you think I did? You think I kept sucking on that straw? No, I threw it out. I had to throw the straw away, the ketchup packet, the sweet tea that had ketchup in it, the ice. I had to dump it out, rinse it out with water, start over again. This is my goal. When you see this church, Laodicea, they think they have it all together. And Jesus says, you don't. As a matter of fact, you're the exact opposite. And the way forward is to change. This is what I hope. When I see Jesus, and as I read His Word, as I pray, as I see things in my life not line up to the Word, I, I go back to sucking up some ketchup, thinking it's sweet tea. Sin's not supposed to be in our lives. And as it sneaks in, and as it grabs hold, and as it entangles us, I hope we react the same way I reacted with ketchup when I thought it was sweet tea. As sin is revealed in my life from the church and the Word and through prayer, I want you to throw it out and get back to following Jesus. Don't keep sucking on the ketchup. It will not quench your thirst. And so that is the goal as we read through this text. Now, you know, from the last six churches, it starts out with a picture. And we see Jesus. And the picture is always important because we see that this is the Jesus that the church needs. Jesus is always who the church needs. So you see this in verse 14. Revelation 3, 14. To the angel of the church of Laodicea write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. Real quick, the Amen. It is a strong affirmation. It's an agreement. It's a, so let it be. It's a, that's right. And we see that Jesus is the Amen. And in 2 Corinthians 1, 20 it says, For no matter how many promises God has made, they are, yes, In who? In Christ. In Jesus. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. Jesus is the one who keeps the promises of God. And you see, the church here thought it was themselves doing the work. That their success was all due to their effort. But here, what we see is no Jesus is the amen. He's the one that's right. He's the one that keeps the promises. He's the one that is strongly affirmed by the Father. He is the Amen. Right now, Laodicea, their strong affirmation is in of themselves. Look at what we can do medically. Look at our wealth. We got it together. And Jesus is drawing them back saying, you have no idea. I am the Amen. So not only is he the amen, he's also the faithful and true witness. You've got two scouting reports here, right? When you look at the church of Laodicea. Laodicea sees themselves as rich, prosperous, in need of nothing. Jesus says, you're wretched, you're poor, you're pitiful, you can't see, you're blind. Both reports can't be true. And so Jesus, at the very beginning, reminds the church, "Hey, I am the faithful and true witness." Jesus always speaks the truth. He always tells us what is true. He is reliable. It's not our views that matter. It's His view. Some of you may have seen "American Idol." For those that haven't, what happens is I don't even know if they're, they're still an American Idol. But uh, there's a few judges, Simon Cowell was on there, Randy Jackson, it's these guys that knew singing. They had supported and, and knew what good singing sounded like. And you knew every year on this television series that there would be someone come up to sing. And the only reason why they were on TV was because of how bad of a singer they were. But you know, either their friends or their parents wouldn't tell them the truth, right? Simon Cow had no problem telling them the truth. One guy gets up and starts singing. He He hits the first couple of wrong notes. And Simon says, oh, stop, stop. He goes, man, that was horrendous. He goes, you might be the worst singer in America. That's a true witness. Or you have Randy Jackson who would be a little bit nicer. He's like, I'm not feeling it, dog. I'm not feeling it, dog. And so now you have this kid or this lady or this man that had all of these dreams of being the the winner of this program, of this show, and the judges are giving them a faithful and true witness. You can't sing. That's what's about to happen in this church. They can't see themselves clearly. Now, all throughout the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, That's true of religious people. You remember when uh, this religious person goes to the temple and he starts bragging about how good he is? God, I'm thankful I'm not like this tax collector. I fast, I tithe, I do this, I do this. You see, he couldn't see himself how God saw him. But the tax collector wouldn't even enter and would just beg for mercy. And Jesus asked the crowd who was justified before God both needed mercy but only one understood they needed mercy and this is my fear it doesn't matter what i think of myself it doesn't matter what you think of yourself it doesn't matter what we think of each other it eternally matters what the faithful and true witness thinks of us and that's who we want to get our eyes on so then that's jesus jesus is the amen the faithful and true witness and then he's about to remind them, Jesus is the big deal. He is the ruler of creation. He is the beginning of creation. And you see this uh, a few times in Colossians, right? The church that's just a few miles away from Laodicea. In Colossians 1.15, it says, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. And so he's preeminent. He's supreme over all of creation. It's about him, not us. You see this again in Colossians 1.18. And Jesus is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. Jesus is supreme. It's about Christ. And you see, in Laodicea, they thought it was about themselves and how good they were doing. They have forgotten their Savior, and Jesus is reminding them absolute allegiance, total dependence on me, the creator and sustainer of the universe. We live in a world that has forgotten Jesus. And we will be reminded. That's what Jesus is doing for his church here. So uh, another example, another illustration from this canoe trip. We go down a ways, and there's this tree that overhangs the, the river. Right, the, the, And you look at this tree And it's probably like one of these beams About middle of the beam, that tall From the canoe, it's not that tall You want to know when you realize How far off the ground you are? When you're on the branch And we had this football player As a matter of fact, it was the same guy That put the ketchup packet in my tea He climbs up and he's like, oh, I'll do it, I'll do it uh. He gets up there, starts climbing And then he's paralyzed by fear Why? He was so confident in the canoe. But now he climbs up a couple of steps and he's scared to death. Why? Because he realizes how far up that branch is. What Jesus is doing for this church is giving them a different view. Church, you have a low view of Jesus. Let me remind you of who I am. The song we just sang told us some things about Jesus. This is who you are. This is who you are. Waymaker, promise keeper, light in the darkness. That's who Jesus is. We continually have to be reminded about who Jesus is. Because so many times, our view is like that in the canoe. Uh, Yeah, Jesus is good. We have no idea. Jesus is awesome, glorious. The creator and sustainer of the universe. Your purpose, my purpose. Your joy, my joy. Your peace, my peace. Our forgiveness is found only in Christ. And Jesus is bringing this church up and saying, Hey, remember who I am. All right, so there's three things that we see about Jesus that will be very important of what he challenges the church to do. He's the amen, the faithful and true witness, and the sustainer and creator and beginning and source of everything that is created. All right, so that's the picture. Number two, let's look at the positive. All right, we've looked at the positive. There is nothing good to say about this church. Jesus doesn't have a word of commendation. There's no encouragement for... Nope. Right after he says, I know your deeds, comes the negative, comes the problem. And if you remember last week with Philadelphia... It was just like a, a grocery list of things they were doing well. Hey, I know you're working hard for the glory of Christ. Hey, I know that you're weak and you're, you're struggling and you're persecuted, but you're obedient. And, and Jesus commends their obedience. He says that's a positive. And he says you're enduring patiently. He's saying you're unashamed and you're bold and you're witness. And it's just one thing after another for the church of Philadelphia. And then you get here and it's the exact opposite. It's a grocery list for things that are wrong. It reminds me, you know, uh, we have this professional training, these professional day trainings, and every once in a while you'll say, hey, if you're going to get on a student, make sure you give like a positive sandwich, right? Hey, here's something good, here's the negative, here's something good. And uh, a lot of times the ratio needs to be over three to one, five to one, five things positive before one thing negative. And the instructor will always say, sometimes it's very hard to find something positive about a student. Sometimes you just got to say, hey, I'm glad you showed up. And that's as positive as you can get. Here, there's nothing positive about this church. And so, let's move on to the problem. Verses 15 and 17. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Jesus is about to reject this church, if they don't change, what a statement from the Lord! Because you're neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. So, problem number one with this church was half-hearted devotion. Half-hearted devotion, not hot like the waters in Aeropolis. not cold like the waters in Colossae. It was just. Mm, How's your time in the word Eh. You guys know the "meh" emoji? Right? There's an emoji movie with different feelings. It's the mm. So now, now this is for the younger crew that, that do the texting. It's just "ah, eh, whatever. It's whatever. Um, in a place in a church where the spiritual thirsty should find cold, refreshing water, they found it, not. To the spiritually dead they couldn't find the living water in this church it's just lukewarm good for nothing Meh. How, how's your worship mm. how's your your time in the word uh, yeah. I, I do the, the word of the day in the, in the morning and that's about it how's your prayer life eh. how's your love for one another whatever there was zero passion I get uh, I get given a hard time from uh, one of our assistant coaches, Coach Hopkins. Coach Hopkins is a UK fanatic. He bleeds blue. So I, I don't know if we have any UK fans in the room, but I am a UK basketball fan. I didn't realize they had a football team until a few years ago. <laughs> Coach Calipari didn't realize they had a football team until a few days ago. And so. Uh, Big Blue Nation goes by BBN. That doesn't mean anything to me. And so I'm talking to Coach. I'm like, oh, yeah, the the Cats are going to be good this year. This is back in the day. He goes, man, you can't talk about UK like that. You're not a part of BBN. And I go, what do you mean? He goes, you don't even root for their football team. I go, hop, nobody cares about their football team. It's a basketball school. And so he kicked me out of BBN because I wasn't passionate enough. Hop is the guy that goes to the Music City Bowl every year because that's where the football team winds up in their bowl games. Every once in a while, he'll make it down to Jacksonville. He's all out. He does the overnight travels. He gets the tickets. He's up top cheering them on. He'll send me videos. Look at how awesome this is. Crazy passion for the cats. I'm just like, eh, okay. You see, when it's about a sports team, it doesn't really matter. When it's about Christ... It's an eternal warning. Just to, to up the ante a little bit. When I proposed to Julianne, can you imagine if I went up to Julianne, and here she is, and I got down on a knee, and I'm like, ah, well. Ah, never mind. I, Julianne, I guess I can't do any better. Uh, do, do you want to marry me or, or What? What if I did that, right? Kinda committed, kinda not. Or I take a knee and I propose, and I, I went through the all the process of trying to surprise her, and really spent a lot on a ring to to impress to show her. Hey, I'm mean business here. I'm serious. I'm all in. And she goes, uh, Ben, you're going, you know, I want to, to think about it. Forever's a long time, and there's a lot of guys in the world and I'm not positive, I can't do better. And Julianne just says, I'll tell you what, give me that ring, and we'll see what happens. Can you imagine a response like that? You see, that's not how it works. Because when you approach a marriage, you understand the commitment involved. You're all in, right? Friends take a back seat to the relationship of the spouse. Children take a back seat to the marriage relationship apart from my walk with Christ, Julianne has top priority. That's how, commit, that's how a marriage should look like. Right? So you don't want to see a husband think that, ah, uh, that's not that important, marriage, whatever. You don't want to see a wife to say, ah, uh, whatever. You can't be lukewarm going into marriage. You're either all in or you're all out. The same is true in your walk with Christ. Many of us treat Jesus like we would mashed potatoes at a buffet. It's just something to add to the plate. I'll do Jesus, I'll go to church on Sundays, but Monday through Saturday I'm going to do whatever I want. And what Jesus is saying is, nope, nope, I'm not taking that half-hearted devotion. I'm about to spit that out of my mouth. That's not going to fly. You don't treat the creator and sustainer of the universe like that. You don't treat the Son of God who died and rose from the grave and is reigning and ruling over creation and is head of the church like that. Jesus is all or he is nothing in your life. And if he's not all, it's lukewarm at best. And it's about to be rejected. And so I want you to see this half-hearted devotion and, and then think about your own life. Think about your own life, your prayer life, your time in the Word, your devotion to His church. Are you half-heartedly walking with Jesus now? And maybe that's what Jesus is saying to you this morning. And the good news is there's an invitation from Christ to you. But real quick, that's just part of the problem. And you know what? I want you to think... Just real quick of the things that you're passionate for. You don't have to teach Coach Hop how to go nuts at a UK football game. Where's that excitement and passion in the church when we worship Jesus? Where is that passion in the morning when you wake up? And now here's, here's going to be a challenge. School goes back for some of our teachers. It's hard to wake up in the morning. Many of you are working, and you've got to figure this out. Is Jesus worth getting up a little bit earlier... To spend time in his word and pray. Is there a passion to your prayer life? Can you not wait to speak to God? Access through the son. Or are we more lukewarm than we want to admit? Matthew twenty two thirty seven. 37, Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? All right, these teachers are saying, hey, can you narrow this down? There's a lot of laws, a lot of rules. What's most important? Jesus, do you guys remember what he answered? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. you got to love God with everything you got. Is that true of us? And then number two, not only are they half-hearted, devoted, they're totally deceived. You see, this was a self-sufficient church, just like the city, instead of a Jesus-dependent church. They thought they were something because they had some money, had some prestige, had some numbers. Many churches are like that in America. Isn't it funny? Like when God blesses someone or something financially, so many times that blessing becomes what we hold on to, and it becomes an idol instead of the one who's giving the blessing. That's what you see here in the church. God blessed them with a banking system, but instead of being thankful to God, they went after the banking system. God blessed them with a clothing industry, but instead of being thankful for God, they became proud in their clothing. They were blessed with this medical advancement, but instead of giving thanks to God, they became confident in themselves. Be very careful when God pours out blessings that you don't get distracted from the one who's giving the blessing. Here, you have a church that's totally deceived. This is verse 17. You say... I am rich, I have acquired wealth, and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. You're the exact opposite of what you think you are. And then you remember the, the church that was considered poor. Jesus says, hey, you're in poverty, but you are rich. How can you be poor and be rich at the same time? You're gonna see this in just a little bit. There was an eighth grade graduation I attended. Jaqueline, it was your eighth grade graduation way back in the day, and I was amazed. The teachers would ask, what are you gonna do in the future? What are you gonna do in the future? What are you gonna do in the future? And so you heard every eighth grader give out what they were gonna do. I was the freshman basketball coach at this time. And in this eighth grade class that you see up here on the screen, there were eight future NBA basketball players. That's what they said they were going to be. And so as a coach, I thought, man, if we just had two future NBA stars, my freshman team will be loaded. Well, come to find out, of the eight, only one played basketball and he could barely dribble. And I realized this come tryouts. I marked down the names of these guys. and I'm like, oh, <laughs> this is false advertising. They thought of themselves one way But in reality, we're the exact opposite. How do we view ourselves? You see, we've got to be very careful because God has blessed us with a lot of things. But maybe you saw this on your bulletins, talking about how God is glorified and that we bear much fruit. That text comes from the book of John, the gospel of John. And it's one of my favorite illustrations Jesus uses. You want to know how a branch produces fruit? By being connected to the vine, who is Jesus. And Jesus reminds them, apart from me, you can do nothing. You see, this church thought it didn't need Jesus. This church didn't see any dependency on Christ because they had everything. They thought they did. And the faithful and true witness tells them exactly who they are. There's a, a prayer that David reads in Psalm 19. It says, But who can discern their own errors, forgiving my hidden thoughts? Keep your servant also from willful sins, so they may not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgressions. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And then later on in Psalm 19... Psalm 139, I'm sorry. Psalm 139, verse 23, is the prayer, Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me, and lead me in the way of everlasting. Have you ever prayed that prayer? Lord, search my heart. Help me see myself as you see me, and then lead me in the way of everlasting. That's what Jesus is doing for this church in Laodicea. That's what he does for everyone who opens up the door when he's knocking. And you see there's a pathway forward. I love the pathway. You see the instruction and the invitation. The instruction is in verse 18. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich, white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so that you can see. I love this. This is counsel. From the wonderful counselor who is Jesus. This is the exact opposite of many counselors today. Jesus doesn't say, you know what? You should feel better about yourself. No, Jesus says, you're poor, pitiful, blind. Buy from me and you can be rich. Buy from me, clothes, and I'll cover your nakedness. Buy from me, salve, and I'll show you how you can see. You see, it's not caring to build people up on something that cannot stand. And Jesus is showing them, hey, everything that you're leaning on, your resources, your advancements, your wealth will not last. Lean on me. Buy from me. So how am I poor? How can I be rich? I don't have money to buy gold. How can I do that? That's what he told the church. He says, you're poor and pitiful. So how can a poor church buy gold? You know the currency? It's faith. It's faith. You see this in the letter to Sperna. I know your poverty, but you are rich. And then the appeal to them was what? Be faithful unto death. If you have Christ, you are eternally wealthy. Okay? How about nakedness? And, And we know... That when we see this nakedness, it's talking about sin. We need righteousness to approach God, and we don't have it. Nothing can cover our sin, except for who? Jesus. You see this in 2 Corinthians 5.21. God made Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us, so that in Christ we might become the righteousness of God. That's the white clothes. That's the white robe. That's the white garments, representing purity. Our purity is as pure as Jesus is. How do we get that? Through faith in Christ. And then we see blind. Cannot see the glory of God. How do we see? Through faith in Christ. 2 Corinthians 4.4 says, Satan has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ who is the image of God. Satan will show you things that you think are so glorious and if God doesn't do something, you'll never see The one who is glorious, Jesus. May we see God's glory in the face of Christ. So how can a poor man buy gold? Through faith in Christ. How can a naked man be clothed? Through faith in Christ. How can a blind man see? Through faith in Christ. This past week, we did a VBS and we brought in this big tire huge tractor tire. And Coach Nevels loves getting these, right? And there's different levels of weight on these tires. And the guys that helped me load it up in my truck, one, I didn't know if my truck was going to make it back in the bed of the truck, right? I thought, man, if I put this tire in there and it falls down, the bed might fall off my truck. We got the heaviest tire. We got the heaviest tire that we had at the school. We put it in there. We rolled it down. We put it in the, the Bible teaching room. And we had this path marked out with some blue tape, and we put this tire blocking the path. And all of these kids, three-year-olds to fifth graders, were sitting on this side. And I had to make sure they couldn't lift this tire, because if they did, it would kill the illustration. And we put sin, wrote the word sin on this tire. We said, all right, we're separated from God because of our sin. God's over here. We want to be where God is. We want a relationship with God, but we can't overcome our sin All we need is one of you students to pick this tire up and get it out of the way. And would you know it that every one of these students tried it? Everyone got down, tried to pick this up, tire wasn't moving. Then I asked DeMarcus, DeMarcus, you think you can lift this tire up? Well, I made DeMarcus practice beforehand. I knew DeMarcus could pick this up. There was a lot of pressure on the kids not being able to lift it and DeMarcus being able to lift it. He got that tire, picked it up, rolled it out of the room. I said, all right, kids, is there anything keeping you from God? No, the sin was taken away. And I pointed to Christ. That's what Jesus does for us. You see, you're not strong enough. I'm not strong enough. The church in Laodicea wasn't strong enough, wealthy enough, good enough to take care of their sin. They desperately needed Jesus. And I'll leave you with this final illustration. I've got two I want, I want to leave you with. On that canoe trip, we had a guy by the name of Josh Farmer. He goes by the nickname 300. And we were, we were rolling down on the bus, and the guide was making us nervous, said the river level was up a little bit because it had rained a lot. There were some dangerous parts, so be careful with your canoe. And I looked back, and my man 300 was sweating. Had a cold sweat going on. I go, Josh, you feeling all right? He goes, oh, Brown, I can't swim. And I go, well, Josh, don't, don't worry about it. We'll have a life jacket. <clears throat> I'll put you with Andrew, my brother, who's a pretty good swimmer. That was a mistake, by the way, putting them with Andrew. Uh, They both got on the canoe, and Andrew thought it was funny to shake the canoe with him in it. Now, everybody had to wear a life jacket. But you want to know what? I never had to remind Josh Farmer to keep his life jacket on. He had that thing on snug and secure. Why? Because he knew he was dependent on that life jacket. You see, this church was dependent on Christ but had no idea it was dependent on Christ. Did you know that you and I are totally dependent on Christ? Our access to the Father, our forgiveness of sin, our communion with one another, the unity that we have is only through Christ. I hope we cling to Jesus like Josh Farmer clung to his life jacket on that canoe trip. And then I'll leave you with this. David, I was sitting where you were in our church and a couple of seats down was a college student. And uh, I knew that I had some bad breath, some bad morning breath from the the donuts that morning. I just needed a mint. And this college student down here had what I thought a roll of mints, if you've seen them, certs. I said, hey, man, you care if I have one of those mints? He starts to smile. He's like, yeah, no problem. I didn't know him that well, but I thought, that's strange. He's awful excited to give me a mint. And he passes this mint down, and as he passed it, the people next to them started to smile, but they just kept passing it down. And then my buddy right next to me handed it to me. I put that thing in my mouth, and I start to feel like, oh, my breast's going to be all right. Did you know that was an Alka-Seltzer tablet? <laughs> you ever tried an Alka-Seltzer not mixed in water? I'm in church, the pastor's going, and I'm sitting here trying not to choke on this Alka- I can't spit it out. And it's just foaming. And it's just coming out. It starts coming out my nose. I'm thinking, this is all. And everybody on the pew was having a great time. Right? How awesome would it have been if my buddy says, man, you don't want to eat that. Smacked it out of my hand. I'm like, oh, man, why'd you do that? I need that mint. If you just smacked it out of my hand, saved me the, the pain and embarrassment of eating, uh, eating an alka tablet. That's exactly what Jesus is doing to this church. It's painful, isn't it? to hear that you're poor and pitiful and blind but he's saving you a lot of hurt and eternal separation from the father and he gives you the invitation be earnest and repent jesus reproves and disciplines those he loves. i don't know if you guys ever had this with your parents but but my parents would always say this hurts me more than it hurts you and i didn't understand that until i had kids of my own but if you love your children you'll show them the way forward with correcting and disciplining and that's what Jesus is doing to his church that's what Jesus does for us today and it's loving to smack an alka out of your hand if you think it's a mint it's loving to wake this church up hey this is who you are so buy from me gold that's refined clothes for your righteousness to cover your nakedness and your shame buy from me so you can see that's what Jesus and then he offers this you can sit with me on the throne to those who overcome. How do we overcome? We know that from 1 John 5 5, through faith. Who is that that overcomes the world? He who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word to the churches, Lord. We also thank you for your faithful and true witness. Father, help us see who we are accurately. Help us see us how you see us. Show us our sin so that we might approach you and ask for forgiveness and turn and leave that behind us. Father, I pray for humility on this church, and I pray for a radical passion for you and your son Jesus, understanding that we are totally dependent on him for all things. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.